The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. Hello there, Smegheads, and welcome back to Everybody's Dead Dave, the Red Dwarf Review Podcast, hosted by myself, and as always, my co-host, Phil Hawkins. How are we doing today, Phil? Doing good, apart from a little bit of a cold, so I apologise if I sound a bit nasally during this podcast. We're we're getting into the autumn season now as we're recording this, the temperatures are finally starting to cool down a little bit, so it's only to be expected. Uh, If you're new, welcome. Uh, The premise is me and Phil go through every episode of Red Dwarf from the end to, oddly enough today, the beginning. The beginning. The one time we can really mean it when we say it. I've been saying that for so long because I knew this episode was coming and I knew the first episode was the end and then there was this from the end of the beginning. But now we're going beyond the beginning. After a year and a half, you can finally say it. You got it out there. Um, But yes, if you are new, I'm a relative newbie. This is my first time watching Red Dwarf as a whole. So every episode is my first experience with it. For Phil, um, he's a, what do we say? Seasoned newbie. Is that what we said? Seasoned newbie, seasoned newbie veteran. Everyone's always a newbie. Let's, yeah, just to, keep it, just to keep point. it egalitarian. <laughs> Absolutely. But um, Phil has seen these episodes before, so it, we just get our contrasting opinions. And as you might have guessed, we've reached the finale of uh, Series 10, The Beginning, which if you're an Eagle fan, which I'm sure you all are, it mimics the first ever episode. So I, I wondered, you know, Phil, before we get into this, knowing this was the title, I wondered if at this point they may have thought this would have been potentially... The Last Red Dwarf, because yeah. I think between this and Series 11, there's a four-year gap, I think. I think Series 11 was 2016. I can't remember the exact years, but wrong. yeah, it sounds about right. Um, yeah. There was, I know there was a bit of a gap, and yeah, I think they didn't know whether or not they would be coming back again after this, so mm. it does feel like what they're trying to mirror the beginning so that if this was the last one, that there would be a nice bookend to it. Yeah. But does it quite uh, live up to the title? Well, let's let's delve right in and find out, shall we? So uh, we start with a little caption. We're on a um, now. Is it? <laughs> this is always a. Is it IO or is it pronounced differently? I phonetically. pronounce it IO, but I do I as might, well. I might be wrong. I think I got told in school once because that's what you know when you're learning about space. That's how it's spelled. It's just IO, one of Jupiter's moons, by the way. Um, but I swear a teacher told pronounced it like just as pure phonetics but anyway we're on one of jupiter's moons and we see if you're a keen observer this is of course where rimmer grew up on io on one of jupiter's moons and as such we see a young arnold rimmer heading to uh, his first class but he's running a bit late and i mean what did you think to the the actor they chose like his look and his mannerisms do you think he accurately portray what you thought a young Arnold Rimmer would be like? Yeah, he was kind of that sort of slightly awkward, bumbling, nerdy kind of vibe about him. It seemed to yeah. work quite well for a, for a young it, it gave me mad, uh, it was mad will from the in-betweeners energy. Yes. Yeah, very Just much be carrying that. a briefcase, yeah. Yes, <laughs> which was on around the same time, so coincidence maybe, who knows. Um, and I wrote the future looks a lot like, because, well, I say the future, even though this is Red Dwarf. Even before the big accident in the very first episode, it's still implied that Red Dwarf takes place in our future, doesn't it? Like, it's yes. not. Yeah. Yeah. And I wrote, Although the future it... looks very much like the 21st century, doesn't it? 
Yes, how far in the future varies depending on which episode you're watching, I think, yes. which you're reading. But it, yeah, it is it is our future that they come from, where they, where are, they are mining Jupiter yes. and things. Yeah. As we've said before several times on this podcast, when it comes to dates, dear listener, try not to think too much about it. It's probably for the best. Um, but uh, Rimmer is obviously getting scolded by his teacher, who we find out is his father. And is this... Is this the first time we've seen Rimmer's father? I I couldn't remember. No, it is not. Uh, I didn't did think see so. Him we... in yes. one of the early episodes. I can't remember mm. when was it. It was um oh I'm trying to remember. Was it, it... the uh go on. Yeah. Um it was it was where cuz he was appeared as a kind of vision. Oh, was it um it, it was better than the life, wasn't it? I he think was so. he came and chastised him in the restaurant. Yes. That was it. Yes, yes. there you go. And uh, I don't think this is played by the same actor. No, different, think. different no. actor. So I've just looked it up. So yes, it was Better Than Life. It was originally in Better Than Life. He was played by John um, Abineri. Abineri, I think that's probably mm-hmm. pronounced. Here it's Simon Treves. Ah. But I do think that they they cast someone and, you know, dressed him up and st- styled him to the point where it did look like I, I wouldn't have necessarily known that it same person just by he had a very similar look to him they hadn't like okay. reimagined him he had the yeah. mustache he had the same kind of haircuts he had the same sort of clothing i think as he had previously so they did a good job All of right. casting there i think yeah so they sort of stuck to the continuity then in a in a roundabout yeah. way about sounds of it yeah oh good but um after a bit of scolding we get to some questions some very bizarre questions he holds up a piece of card, which to me, and bear in mind I am partially sighted, so part of me thought this was a cruel joke at my expense. Um, he says, what color is this? Is it purple? Is it blue? Is it green? And to my eyes, Phil, it looked blue. Um, yeah, to my eyes, it looked purple. And I think those are the two acceptable answers. It's yes. kind of bluey purple. Kind of yes. Color. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you have a couple of people that in the class, you know, they've all been told what to say because this is an experiment. Yes. At Rimmer's expense. Oh, yes. And he, yeah, so I think the, the purple or, either purple or blue would have been a fine answer. So everyone yeah. sticks their Picks hand up green. green they apart do. from Rimmer. Yes, and they do the same thing with the, fallo- is the fallopian tube an instrument? Which is quite a question I never thought I'd hear in my life. But as you say, this is all at Rimmer's expense. And then we cut back to... After all this, we cut back to Red Dwarf. And I, at this point, I thought, right, is this going to be one of those episodes where we're flitting backwards between, like, you know, young Rimmer and present day Rimmer? Um, and we'll touch more on that in just a moment. But we are back on Red Dwarf, and there's a security breach. There's some kind of creature that's invaded G Deck, and it, it seemingly moves through the wall as effortlessly as Rimmer did last episode, which we debated if that was something he could do constantly, but that's you'll have to listen to last episode for that one. And it finds Cat first. Cat's, of course, having his beauty sleep, cucumbers over the eyes, all that stuff, and threatens him, saying, You killed my bro. I'm not even going to attempt the accent. What accent was this? I think it's a kind of um, sort of maybe Mexican type accent, it's a kind of Latin American right uh, type accent i think kind of they were felt, just and i it kind of felt like it was being the stereotype from those like western movies of like yeah the guy coming at you know the mexicans maybe coming over the border and being in those wild west towns all that kind of that kind of vibe yeah. to it 
The sort of which make Tash as well. <laughs> oh yes, of course, which makes sense a little bit later on in, in his in terms of his motives. But uh, Cap doesn't seem too phased by him. He just says, "No, no, you want you want Lister," so directs him to him. He comes across Crichton, threatens Crichton, same sort of thing, very nonchalantly, is like the floor below, all that sort of stuff. And he and then when he reaches Lister, funnily enough, Lister doesn't seem too bothered either. He's not really phased by this. He's sort of like, nah, nah, forget it. And then it's revealed that this this guy's sort of a a recurring visitor of sorts, isn't he, Phil? Yeah, and I, I like this. It, I like it when they imply there are off-screen adventures that we haven't seen. Mm. Um, and you get that here because seems like he just follows them around and tries to challenge them to duels throughout yeah. space and time all the time. Is he a simulant as well? I think because there he's... was one there was one line and I can't remember if I misheard it when like Lister wakes up and he I swore I thought I heard him say some sort of like robot or android or something rogue, like that. I think he said. I think, oh, was it I, just rogue? But right. there have been rogue simulants before. So right. I don't know. And I think the ones later get referred to as like rogue simulant death ship or something like that so i mm. i don't know if, and he very much looks like simulant from i can't remember which episode or which series it was was it their was, debut where they looked like him or sort um, of looked like him well there was the, i think their debut was that the gunman of the apocalypse was their debut or had they been on the before that but there's the one where they go and trade with one for Crichton for a replacement part of Crichton yes. and they end up he ends up keeping Crichton and he had a very similar look to this guy. Mm. And I I'm wondered sure. if that was his brother and he's referring to that. Or yeah. if that or if his brother is just another off screen thing it, that it, happened. It very well could be. I mean, again, Eagle listeners who are attentive, you can let us know in the comments on YouTube which episodes are referring to. But um According but, you to know, the IMDB trivia section, um the character of Hoagie the Rogie is called. <laughs> They refer to which I love the rhyming. Yeah, he was originally apparently meant to feature as a character in the Red Dwarf feature film that was planned in 2000, Ah. but never materialized. So maybe that feature film, the events of that, maybe that events of that feature film happened, but we just never saw them. Maybe unwritten script, perhaps. Mm, Well, (laughs) maybe that'll get revealed one day, but. As Hoagie starts to act less like a threatening villain and more like a whiny child when he doesn't get his way, um, Red Dwarf is under Red Dwarf is under attack. Um, it's hit by missiles breaching the hull. And uh, can I say about the, the whining? I love I yeah. love the whining. They kind of like oh I really want because he challenges him to a duel across time and space. Uh, challenges Lister and Lister's just like. No, I keep telling yeah. you, I don't want a jewel. Just leave us alone. And yeah. He's like, oh, please. And it's just, I love the white. It's, it's yeah. great, great moments there. I love that. Do you accept the challenge, Homo? A duel across time and space? No. Why? Okay, you are always doing this, picking fights and then challenging us to duels across time and space. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you smeggin are. You rogue droids are obsessed with duels across time and space. You insult my time saying we are obsessed with duels across time and space and therefore challenge you to a duel across time and space. I suppose it's like how, like some children, isn't it? I mean, you might be able to yes, relate. I don't know. Like, <laughs> can I do this? Like, no, please. I told you. It's like, yeah, please. Yeah. And we've all done it as well. Come on. We can all admit to ourselves as kids. We probably did that at least once for some reason. 
Um, but the, when the hull's cracked and everything's being sucked out and then Crichton comes in, what did you think of this whole, um, you know, the whole gag of Crichton? Say, oh, I'm sorry for interrupting. Is this a good time to clean the room and all that's, you know, is this a good time to learn about human vocal tones or whatever he says? Because to me, the, the whole thing with Crichton shouting before the hull is fixed just felt, I don't know, it just felt a bit forced a bit strained i guess uh yeah maybe it was i don't know it, it just didn't, didn't feel like it, it. flowed it was, properly it was, yeah it was okay i think it didn't like massively great on me but yeah i can no. see where you're coming from yeah but um, i mean uh, they once they do get the whole fix which of course poor hoagie is a uh, is sucked into well into the hole and basically plugs it leaving him stuck there it is a and small hole it is a rather small hole but it when wasn't you're in space, big enough to suck sort of suck him out of the ship. No. I think that's a case of, uh, what's that old term? Plot convenience? So, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's they somewhere take to his... stick Hoagie for the rest of the episode. That's it. Well, yeah, that, that is exactly it. If you thought you were seeing Hoagie throughout, nah, this is it, I'm afraid. They take his uh, uh, demoleculizer gun, or whatever they call it. Is it demoleculizer? Something like that? Or destabilizer? They take his weapon and leave him there. And, uh, and then we get destabilizer. That's the one. That's the <laughs> one. Uh, we get a shot of the simulant ships. I've got to say, just throughout this episode, any shots we get of like Red Dwarf or the simulant ship, I think it all looks great considering the, yeah. the era and budget and stuff like that. I think they really, you could tell if there was like a ship budget or a model budget or a CGI budget, I think a lot of it went into this. And I'm glad it did because it looks, I, I, what do you think? Do you think it looks as good as well? Yeah, yeah, I've, the ships look great, um, and there was a few different designs. It wasn't just like one ship either. There was a couple, you know, the big ship, and then a few little like scout type smaller ships. Yeah, um, and yeah, the CGI looked good on them, and yeah, pretty. Yeah, it's pretty a good variety. Fun. Nice variety. They head back to the control room, but everything's down because, of course, they are being attacked. I do like, like Crichton's line here. You, you <laughs> read what you're my mind. You, yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, sorry, I stole that. You go. You no, go. no, it's fine. Um, so they can't use the scanners or the screens. <laughs> Crichton says, I have a suggestion, sirs. What? How about we look out of the window? <laughs> Which is one of those lines, like, it's such a like mundane line, but uh, I think Robert Llewellyn's, Robert Llewellyn's delivery... Uh, and the, how the stakes are, it's brilliant. It reminded me a lot of the bulb change gag. Yeah. The famous bulb. I don't know. It just, it, it had that same sort of quality to it. I really liked it. Um, yeah. And they, and they established quickly that it is a rogue simulant death ship that's attacking. Um, and then we cut to aboard the death ship itself, which I'm glad because I was worried that, because they've done this sometimes in Red Dwarf's Pass, you know, they'll reference other species or you know, you'll get a shot of one yeah. of their ships, but then you don't actually go, you know, you're not aboard, yeah, you're yeah. not seeing them. And these Thankfully, simulants are different to the one, like, if the, mm. uh, if the one on the ship is a simulant, they're kind of like different groups. These ones are much more together. This The the one that was like on the ship, in fact, they're chasing him because he's stolen stuff from them. Yes. And yeah. he's like kind of disheveled and kind of like, he's clearly been augmented with stuff, mm. but he's yeah. not... Um, I guess what they maybe a, a, a quote unquote pure simulant yeah. movie or whatever they consider to be pure. Yeah. And they, they're much more together. And like you said, you see the inside of their ship and very ceremonial candles mm. and robes. And very culty. Things. Yeah. It is a bit like, yeah, a, yeah indeed. Like a cult. And swords. 
Yeah. Oh, well, this guy. Yeah. So the um the I guess subordinate goes to as he calls him the dom. He calls him Dominator. That's his uh title. Uh, and reveals that they are they are in pursuit, but they haven't managed to take out the as they say the human. Uh, and the leader, the Dominator, slides a sword towards him with the blade pointing directly at him, and. <laughs> The lieutenant, or whoever, implies that he is asked to uh, basically take himself out for his yeah, failure. because the Dominator leader guy says something along the lines of, um, you know what you have to do, and then slides yes. the sword to him. Yes, to which he impales himself, and then it's revealed, he says, oh, you must polish my sword. <laughs> to, yes, to and which... write me an apology letter. Yes. Oh, of course. Very important. But the act of um, that's actually based on real life, isn't? It? I believe. And again, any historians, if my brother's listening, he'll he'll kill me for this. But I'm certain that in um Japanese military, yeah, th- uh, they, I can't remember what it's called. But yeah, the act they of do, impaling they use yourself. The word as well. It's uh, begins with H, but I can't remember exactly yeah. what it was. But they used it in the script. Um, yeah, that is a real. Yeah, because I believe honor plays a big part in the Japanese military mm. and the the feeling of not being honorable or, I don't know, failing or rather than surrender in some cases, that is the option they go with. So, yeah, I, I, no, but I like it was an adaption of like something from real life. You know, I, I just found mm. it quite interesting, actually. But yeah, we get this nice gag of him saying that wasn't made quite clear. So I think we need to change the procedures whilst he's also holding parts of his uh is innards. Yeah, trying to scoop them back in. And like, yes. I, I think at one point he goes, oh, that looks important. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, um, I mean, we don't know how simulant anatomy works. Some would assume he's dead. Not this guy. Um, did you feel the whole sword gag went on for, for too long? No, I didn't. No? I liked it. I only, f- I felt a t- just a tiny bit towards the end, but nothing nothing criminal. Certainly not, <laughs> not the worst. <laughs> Uh, so whilst that's going on, the boys on the dwar- uh, the boys of the dwarf are figuring out what to do. They're under attack. They need to formulate a plan. They have their um, uh, demoleculides. They have the gun from Hoagie, uh, and they realize that it can destabilize molecules, so things can essentially pass through. Where Lister falls through the floor, brings the others with them in what was a very awkward green screen moment. I have to say, you know how they fell through the floor and yeah. landed. I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I kind of like Cat's description of it though. Uh, oh yes. And uh, what does he say? He says something like uh, a wibbly gun, a wibbly gun, because it makes everything go wibbly. Yes. <laughs> and then I think Crichton gives the technical term to which Rimmer says, "I prefer his version instead," <laughs> which is true. Um, but they they can't stay on Red Dwarf. It's literally being bombarded on all fronts. So they decide they're going to get to Blue Midget and fly away. So are we assuming Starbug's just gone then? Because I know in the last episode or one of the last, you know, the uh, the Gelf had it or the sorry, yeah. the well, what was it? The be- the Begs. They, uh, I think they had two. He said, "Oh, we'll go in Starbug two to get it." Yeah, um, and then they went in Blue Midget. So I don't know what that was about. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, clearly, they're not. You, they don't have a set for Starbug at the moment because they are just using Blue Midget. I don't think we've seen Starbug at all this series. No, apart from that lovely model shot in that past, you know, of like the the campfire when they land to try, you know, and they negotiate with the yeah. Pigs. Did we so see? We, it's in like the shot, you know, whether it's model or map painting, whatever it is. Like when they go to land, you see no, like no, a that's few Blue tents. Midget. And, was that Blue Midget? I'm I sure that, that was Starbug. I could have sworn that was Blue uh. Midget. We'll have to go back on ourselves yeah. on that one. But yeah, you're right. We've seen a lot more of Blue Midget this series than we have um, 
Starbucks, which, you know, fair enough. Starbucks had the limelight for <laughs> several series now, so why True. not? But they do flee in Blue Midget, and um, the, but the simulants are in tow. And Rimmer has taken this odd device, which is a, uh, uh, was it a hollow projector? Yeah, at first I thought it was a telescope or something. It looked <laughs> like, like, like a, a periscope or yeah. something like that. Well, yeah, it looked yeah. like one of those desktop, like, you know, scientific, not telescope, microscope. That's the word, mm. not telescope. Um, micro- you know, I said like periscope, micro- that was wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it looked the, like a microscope. That, yeah. So I was wondering if it was some kind of device that they were going to use at some point for some, you know, technical mm. reason. But no, yeah, it and was a hologram might, emitter. Yes, yeah, a hologram emitter that will become important a little bit later on. But they decide to hide in an asteroid field, very, very Empire Strikes Back, of course, hiding amongst the asteroids. And uh, but the simulant dominator, he's he's not happy about this. He's very annoyed that they haven't been able to take them out yet. And um, what does he say at first? He encourages like his subordinates to like debate him and to to challenge him. Yeah, to which. Someone says, "Oh well, what's you know what's the point?" Because last time, <laughs> to which he's interrupted by the Dominator saying, "Kill him." Yeah, <laughs> and he says, "Oh, you see what I mean?" I like that. It was a funny little side yeah. gag. And, yeah, and, but I think it rings. I mean, it was obviously done in a very comic way, but I think it rings quite true. I think a lot of powerful people like mm. pretend they want to have oh, open yes. discussions, but really they want everybody to agree. They pretend they don't want everybody to agree with, but they really yes. do. It's that classic, what's the line of like, oh, um, you can say anything you like, except <laughs> yeah. that begins the long list. Yeah. No, you're right. Very, uh, very telling. And um, then we get this scene in the in the blue midget uh, control room. And this scene does got, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing. This is quite a long scene as it goes. There's a lot of uh, banter between the four of them. Um, what did you think of this whole segment then? Well, where they're I- just chatting I, well first of all we get a reference back to the series eight finale which i really mm. liked the um, microorganisms the microorganisms because they say they go like well we've gotten out of tighter situations by like uh, this before like that time where we uh, you know microorganisms were eating red dwarf and then rimmer takes credit he's like ah oh, yes i saved us from that and then but <laughs> and he's about to reveal how which of course we never saw because there was yes. a cliffhanger <laughs> and then it gets cut off, so we never find yes. out what happened. And this raises the question again of which Rimmer is this? Yes, because yes. that kind of implies that initially you might think that that implies that oh well he's the Rimmer that was in series eight then because mm. uh, you know he's he's he was involved in that adventure and he saved them blah 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 yeah so it must be that one and he must have died again but earlier on in the episode he has already referenced having died before because he's obviously dead as a hologram having died from the nuclear explosion which happened obviously at the first episode so but this new the 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 remade via nanobots rimmer that we had in series eight never died via that way so that's right he therefore must be the original rimmer (laughs) so the only way i can kind of kind of uh, level those two things in my head is that the original Rimmer must have come back during those events and mm. saved them somehow. So he go. went off to be Ace Rimmer. He, maybe he came back, decided that he couldn't be Ace Rimmer before, but he turned up and saved them from the events. What happened to human Ace Rimmer? <laughs> Not dead Ace Rimmer, who knows? Yes. 
This, the, no, there you go, folks. That's your whole. That's yeah. your whole Rimmer theory. So do, do theory. what you will. But it does. But, it, it rose. It raised those issues, and I felt we needed to tackle them. What's no, your, I abs- what do you think? I absolutely, Adam. Well, no. Well, it's as you say. I like the fact that even though obviously we'd love an explanation, what sci-fi fan doesn't want an explanation for absolutely everything? Uh, so I do like the fact they're very tongue-in-cheek, and you know, they as you say, they cut it off just as. Um, the whole Rimmer thing, I have to. I sometimes I struggle to remember which one's which, but I I don't know. I'd like to think this is that same Rimmer from Series Eight because like I say if he if he's if he's referencing it, mm. then he must have lived it, it or yeah. it's implied that he yeah, lived it. Yeah, but he it. also references dying from the nuclear. I know, inflation. I know. This is. Where <laughs> I wonder if the creators would do it do it just to just so just fans do this exactly yeah, yeah who knows let us know hey if you've got a different theory though then feel free to let us know in the comments so we can wax lyrical about it hey maybe that's a potential for a future special red dwarf mm. fan theories yeah oh, never know um so rimmer um they have to have a plan basically otherwise they're buggered they're gonna get killed by the simulants and uh uh, Lister decides to delegate one of the tasks to to Rimmer, who is a bit stunned at first, and you know he's he's been actually given an important task, and his his faux com- his faux confidence I find rather amusing when he's like, right, yes, okay, I can yeah. do this. <laughs> yeah, he seems surprised that Lister would have the confidence in him to delegate him the duty of coming up with the battle plan. Exactly, um, but really, I mean, it's just because they have no other option. The rest of them are even. More as useless as Rimmer exactly. is, they're all that useless. But it seems like Rimmer's the last resort. As when they send him off, they all proclaim that they're smegged because they haven't got yeah. a hope. Uh, Rimmer draws up his battle plan, all lovely and color coded. Oh, it's it's not his battle plan; it's his battle plan timetable. Sorry, table. that yes, that's right. Battle plan timetable. Exactly table. what he used to do when he because he references, oh, this will be like an exam, and then he does a timetable like he used to do with his exams because, mm-hmm. of course, he used to spend most of his revision time just making a revision timetable and not actually revising and he appears yes. to be taking the same tack here with uh, coming up with a battle plan planning yes. the planning rather than actually <laughs> doing the planning yes and he still has no idea what he's gonna do and uh, eventually uh Crichton pays him a visit drops off two forks and a pencil sharpener as well as the, the only uh, weapons they could find on the ship <laughs> Absolutely. As well as the uh, demoleculizer as well, of course, yeah. which he leaves it. But yes, two forks and a pencil sharpener. But then Cat comes in. And I, Phil, I really love this scene. I did too, I, yeah. Because at first, obviously, you know, he's playing with string. Again, nice catism. And, I, you know, doing, oh, I love the string game. And But then out of nowhere, Cat <laughs> gets very philosophical with Rimmer. Uh, and starts talking about his dad, saying like he needs to break away from him. That his dad is the source of like the the fear and doubt in him that prevents him from doing anything like this, like planning a battle and stuff. And the way he like talk, it's almost like almost like a preacher in a mm. way. He's like saying, "This is what you got to do. You got to break free. You got to do it." And I, I love it because we. How long have we said that cat? Even in in the better episodes, when he's like displaying more catisms or he's more than just a punchline. How long have we said, oh, we'd love for Cat to get like a moment where he actually contributes like a, a I don't know, like a pretty consequential thing to the episode. Yeah, and I uh, think this series, I've said this in pretty much every episode, this series has done Cat a great service, I think, because mm. he's been used really well throughout it. But I think this is for comedy and all sorts of things, but, uh, but and just giving him screen time and giving him things to do. But yeah. this is 
probably the most impactful thing he's done, maybe in the whole series. I'd, I'd think so. Absolutely. Like, he's it's actually just... had an impact, a positive impact on something, not a negative like when... one. Absolutely. I mean, when he started talking to Rimmer about it, like his dad, I was shocked because that, like, yeah. that's the last thing I'd expect from Kat. Like, it's just, and this scene, it could have easily been Lister, couldn't it? That could have easily been Lister yeah. coming in. And because we've had moments like that before where the two of them share like a, not emotion, but you know, they have, they can yeah. have a deep conversation. So yeah, I loved it. I was like, finally, Kat has, even though it was brief, like he had, he had that moment to really... And and Danny John Jules just smashed it as well. Like he he got he balanced the comedy of the strings. He never drops the string throughout, of course. He's always focused on that string. But I, I don't know. I feel like he got the seriousness of it as well, or the sincerity of it. They even mm. give a little explanation that cats sense things, which, you know, yeah, that that works. Um so yeah, and it actually has an impact because Rimmer um then decides he hasn't got a plan, he admits he has he still hasn't got a plan. But he's gonna play his father's message, which his father had told him he should only play when he becomes a member, an officer of the Space Corps, which, which of course, Rimmer isn't. Um, but is I like his reasoning. that mm. by, If he plays it before the moment his father wanted him to, then that's it. he thinks he'll break free of him. And what I like is that, that, that line, I don't know what you thought, that line's not played for laughs. There's no laugh track. Chris Barry feels very sincere. And like I've said before, I know Red Dwarf's a comedy, the jokes are the forefront, as it should be. Um, but I like it, even when it's brief, then they take those moments just to deliver a line with, you know, sincerity to it. Well, did you like it as well is yeah, sort of reasoning for it? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it kind of like harkens back to those series one, series two moments where you had in the observation sort of dome at the top mm. of the ship. But there's quieter moments that they're not really playing for the comedy. They're playing for the actually, this is a nice character moment. And yeah, it really is for Rimmer. It's, it's a nice moment. for him. Yeah. Really good stuff. So the message begins to play, and uh, <laughs> the uh, the the message from his father basically we're, we're going. If, if I mentioned Empire Strikes Back before, we're going full Star Wars now, <laughs> or reverse Star Wars. <laughs> yes, kind of, because he reveals to Rimmer that he is actually not his father. To which we get the immediate lines afterwards are nearly they're almost one for one with Empire Strikes Back. They change them just enough. I think Rimmer says something <laughs> like. No, that can't be true. Instead of that's impossible. And what does his father say? Like, search deep. Doesn't say search your feelings. You know it to be true. But he says something like, if you look inside yourself, you'll know that this is true. <laughs> Very on the nose. But then, as you say, we get <laughs> another reverse. Um, this isn't actually his father at all. No, yeah. And no. instead, his father is Dungo the gardener. <laughs> Dungo. Yes, who we haven't seen before. No, I think in Red Dwarf, this no. is a yes. So it's it's Dungo the Gardener, um, and you you know you'd think maybe this would be quite damning for uh, for Rimmer, but uh, again, it actually does quite the opposite for him. It seems that um, he feels that weight's been lifted. He's no longer living in what he thought was his father's shadow, and um, he feels like a renewed confidence. He's he's you know he's got a plan that his real father Dungo or Dennis, or Dad, as he says, would be proud of. Uh, but it's still awful, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> it's go, still an awful plan. He goes plan. and tells everybody it, and they are vote against it. And because, yes. and I like this, because it mirrors what the experiment his dad was doing in one of the things, where basically he was trying to see if it, uh, he would raise his hand on the wrong answer that he knew was the wrong answer, because everyone else was. 
Yes. And we get a similar thing here where everybody votes against the plan. And so he ends up like raise, starting to raise his hand to mm. vote against his own plan because everybody yes. else is. And he's succumbing to that peer pressure again from that. It very mirrors that opening scene. And I like, I like the kind of symmetry there. But then he conquers it and he has hears he his does. dad's voice in his head. Or he's, yes. he's not dad. His, <laughs> his, um, his, uh... whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not biological dad in his head. Yes. The person he thought is father. And he's like, crunches up his fist and he's like, no, this will work. And he gets yeah. that renewed confidence. We don't at yeah. this point know what the plan is either. We've no. kind of cut to them already ready to vote for it or against it, but not knowing what it is. And mm. we'll see what it mm. is in a minute. <laughs> yeah. And the others rally behind him and they head off. Like <laughs> Lister says, take the forks. We might need them. <laughs> Just as because you can't forget the forks, key weapon. Um, so they're cornered by the huge simulant ships, one on either side. Uh, Rimmer offers to surrender. And Clay proclaims that you can't shoot a uh, you can't shoot down a surrendering ship, as that because <laughs> doing so I love this line is some I think it, I wrote scandalous uh, scandalous treason of the niceties of battle. <laughs> nice, that's a good line. <laughs> Which is because, but it's true. Then it? uh, from what we know of war in our history, like supposedly if you wave the white flag of surrender, you're formally not meant to shoot them. Hmm. Uh, which seems. Again, like a, a nicety, which seems barbaric in a in a war zone, but you know there we are. And um, the simulant sort of taunt him, saying, "Oh, you live and then you die." To which Rumor at first says he's going to write a very strongly worded letter to to Geneva about this. Um, to which he does. But then we get the plan, don't we, Phil? Yes, this was all to lure them into a position where they're going to fire, and they're at like four different positions surrounding them, mm. uh, and all fire at once. Heading towards the ship, but of course, what do they still have? They have Chekhov's uh, <laughs> yeah, gun. D- yes, Chekhov's <laughs> dematerialization yeah, gun. gun. For anybody that's who don't, one. why I'm calling it Chekhov's, that's a, a sort of theatre trope that if you it see is. a or a story trope, if you see a gun at the beginning of a play, it will be fired at some point during the play. Otherwise, Absolutely. why is it there at the beginning? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's yeah. this. We saw the gun earlier. It is now coming into play. It absolutely is. Demolecularizing, whatever they're doing. They're they're making it so that the uh, missiles will pass through the bulkheads, over their heads, out the the other side, and of course, head towards the opposing ships that will obviously cover. I don't know how demolecularizing the bulkheads doesn't... How does that work with like space and the vacuum of space? If it's not a solid... Who who knows? Apparently does nothing, but... um, the plan works, the missiles pass through. This is very similar, I have just realized, to basically uh, the Doctor's plan in Day of the Doctor, where he basically You're right. moves Gallifrey right. so all yeah. the Daleks fire on each other. So, hey, Stephen Moffat, if you, if you listen, is, is that where you got it from? Because hmm? this, hey, that was a year before so, Day of yeah. the Doctor, so yeah. Funny that, hmm, I wonder. But the simulants are destroyed, and, um, and, and yeah, we sort of... Um, Rimmer's still got that sort of renewed confidence that his plan worked and he says back to let's say back to Red Dwarf the slime is coming home that's what they end on I like the fact that before yeah. that though he refers to himself now he now his lineage is not uh, emperors or whatever oh yes yeah yeah it's, yeah it's gardeners and other stuff he's like uh, working refers to himself as a working class hero he's yes. always been quite snobby and, uh, he has he's like oh I'm a working class hero 
And uh, nothing Lister says you and me both. But yeah, yeah. They, then they end on that line, Slime's coming home after referring to himself now as a working class hero, uh, yeah. which of course mirrors the end of the end, the first yes. episode, which is the exact same line that they used when they were first heading back to Earth. It is, which makes it, as we said at the very top, like had this been the last episode line-wise, this, that would have been a fitting yeah. conclusion, I suppose. Um, and that, folks, wraps up the beginning. Uh, before we do our regular segments, um, I'll just say, Phil, th- this wasn't the finale, finale I thought it was going to be. Mm. Um, I think there were a few things, not that I was expecting, but I thought might happen. This is the only episode of Series 10 where there's no Kachansky reference. I, I was going to say no Kachansky. Yeah. Been, I know you've been wondering. We've had a Kachansky <laughs> yes. reference every single episode up until this one. So you yes. kind of were wondering, that building did something finale are we going to see Gachansky in the finale yes no we're not no no we're not <laughs> we're not even going to mention her and you know what that's fine but i thought at least i thought at least they'd do one more reference for yeah. the sake of it but for no sake, we literally it feels nothing it does her in five out of six episodes just just mention her name at least once yeah guys. we literally get nothing so that was that was one thing and i don't know this um it, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it, but I don't know. It just didn't feel like the finale I thought it might be. But them's them's the yeah, rules. Yeah, I, I was saying. I think I said this just before we started recording, but um, that I think I had this because it's been ten years since I've seen the mm. series. I think I had this slightly muddled in my head with a different episode. So right, I, it wasn't what I was expecting either because I thought other events that are happening which would happen, which are actually going to happen in another episode, which oh, we will right. get to eventually. <laughs> So I see. So there's more to come. Clearly, well, obviously, uh, you'll all know this wasn't, of course, the last episode because we've still got two more series and a special to look at. So, mm. but yeah, that's the beginning. So, Phil, let's do our regular segments. Who was your favourite character in this episode? There's quite a few to pick from. I think in this one, the, mm. you know, there's quite mm. a few different simulants. All of the simulants were funny. Yes. I think so. Yeah, you know, the guy that impels himself, the um, the Dominator guy. Uh, and the original sort of like tramp type one that comes onto yes. the ship. I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to give it to uh, Hoagie the Rogie, I think. I nice. like, I just really yes. like his like, interaction. Like, oh, he's whining. Is like, oh, I really want to uh, think. Yeah. Oh, one thing we forgot to, I think I've just realized we forgot to mention, and I have oh. a feeling you didn't know about it because I didn't until literally five minutes before we started recording. And while I was looking on IMDb, oh, 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 realized go on, go on. that there's a scene after the credits. No, there is. And I, oh. I, I only saw it like literally before we started recording. Oh, I, went back and, I, I haven't seen it. Please do. And I've just all, been reminded all. because Hoagie's the feature of it. They go back to oh. the quarters and mm. they're about to go in and they're talking in the corridor. And again, the subject of what happened at the end of series eight comes up with the right. organic things. And it feels like we're about to get <laughs> the answer again. And yeah. then the door opens and Hoagie's there with his gun and then it ends. How has he got his gun back? Oh, wait, is he not? You mean he's not? Is he off the hull now? No, no, he's still. Yeah, he's off the hull. Yeah, but he's at, uh, they've hmm. sealed it somehow. I don't know. <laughs> but he's there. And he and somehow he's... got his gun back. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's where it ends. So we, it's another gag about not finding out what happened at the end of series eight, basically. But I think, just to tease that little bit more. I think that's the first time they've done a post-credit scene. I, yeah, they've to done, our, well, to our knowledge, at least. Yeah, I they've think, done yeah. mid-credit audio 
things. Yes. But not yes. a whole scene, I don't think. But anyway, that, ah. rem- that talking about Hoagie reminded me of that. So yeah, oh, he's they, my favorite well. character. There you go, folks. Watch out for post-credit scenes. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Okay. I'll have to go back and watch that for myself because I completely missed it. Um, So were you saying the simulants were your favorite? Yeah, well, Hoagie specific. I'm going to pick Hoagie specific. Hoagie the Rogue. Hoagie the Rogie. Maybe he'll come back. Who knows? (laughs) Or should I not get my hopes up again? Um, What about you? My favorite character this time, uh, I'm going to give it to Kat. Purely, but I mean, he was great throughout as he normally is, but I, I was just so happy with that little scene because mm. I felt this is, as we said, this has been a long time coming for Kat. And I'm just glad that finally, even if this is the only one we ever get like this, that it's happened. So uh, yeah, Danny John Jules just smashed it. Um, Rimmer was probably a close second. Obviously, I know it's a very Rimmer centric episode and he did really well. The simulants too. But yeah, no, I'm going to give it to Kat for this one. Why not? Cool. And what about your funniest moment? Again, there were a few I could have picked, but I'm going to go with the polishing the sword. Oh, right. Or the, yeah. the guy mistakenly thinking that he meant kill yes. yourself. And actually, mm. you just meant apology. And give me a, give me a letter of apology. <laughs> yes. It was, it was a good reverse gag. Good reverse gag. Yeah. Um, for me, I already mentioned how much it made me laugh. It's the, it's the look out the window gag. Ah, shall we just look out the window? It it reminded me so much of the blue ball, uh, change the bulb gag, which is already probably would you out one of Red Dwarf's most iconic jokes? I think Definitely, that gets mentioned. Yeah. yeah, felt very much in the same vein, but it didn't feel like a straight retread, and I like that. So yeah, it's the one that made me laugh the most. So I'm going to give it to that one. And what about your score? How many scutters out of ten are you giving the beginning? I'm going to give it. Hmm. Ooh. Uh. Seven, seven. Okay, okay. Seven. It was an. Where, where's, where... It was an okay episode. I enjoyed, and there was some very funny bits in it. I don't know. It's weird. It just didn't quite feel I'd, epic enough, maybe for us for finale. And I know yeah. that's actually the case with a lot of the Red Dwarf finales. But there was not. It wasn't. I, don't, I can't really even describe it. It just didn't quite hit enough to yeah. go. Wow, this is amazing! I'm gonna yeah. give it like nine or whatever. You know, yeah, it, just, yeah, sure. it was a fun, enjoyable episode, and I liked it. And we did get some nice character moments for both Cat and um and Rimmer, so that was lovely. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of convincing myself to give it a bit more now. Um, <laughs> maybe seven point five. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna oh, raise yeah, it to like seven point five. Yeah. yeah. What about yourself? Fair enough. Um, mine was your original gut feeling. I'm giving it a seven. Uh, similar reasons to like you said. Um. There were some strong moments, like some strong, funny bits, character moments. But yeah, like you said, it, it just felt like there was something missing to really make it like that, um, like an eight or nine powerhouse score, you know. Mm. And and like you say, it doesn't have to be like an, the most epic episode ever. I think, do you think in this day and age in TV, we've sort of been uh, dieted to think that every finale of every show ever has to be this yeah. grand epic thing. Maybe. And, you know, they're... And they're great, don't get me wrong, but I don't know. I, I don't mind. I wouldn't have minded if it was just, you know, a serialized adventure. But yeah, it, it just, yeah, felt a bit lacking in some places. Yeah. So, but we'll see if that changes in, in future seasons to come because that, folks, means we've wrapped up series 10 mm. of Red Dwarf, which in terms of the TV stuff, that only leaves us with, uh, leaves us with series 11, series 12, and the promised land. At the time of recording, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll announce 
a new Red Dwarf project. It's been two and a bit years, so maybe we'll have to see. Um, but in the meantime, Phil, where can they find you on the internet if they want to check out more of what you do? Well, this podcast and other geeky pop culture stuff of mine goes up on my YouTube channel, which is just Philip Hawkins. It's my name, Philip with one L. And there I talk about Doctor Who. This podcast goes up there. Um, other things like Star Trek, the MCU, things like that. So come and check out my thoughts on those things there. And you can find me on Twitter at Culture Filter. That's Filter spelled P-H-I-L-T-E-R, like Phil, my name. Yes, very good. Very good indeed. And um, for myself, it's just Adam Martin on YouTube, Martin with a Y for all my content and rambling. Same on Twitter, Adam Martin AMTV. And uh, this podcast has a Twitter at All Dead Dave Pod. You can give us a follow for updates on the show, amongst other things as well. If you want to cop some everybody's Dead Dave merchandise, we do t shirts, we do mugs, we do all sorts of stuff. Um, we have a Teespring store there from which you can order from. And. Yeah, in the meantime, I say give us your feedback on Phil's channel where this podcast goes. That's our main way, isn't it? As well, and Twitter as well. Yeah. But any feedback you have, please let us know. We're not shy to criticism. And uh, and also, yeah, your theories, like we said, any any theories you have as well on, on, the, on the Rimmer situation, shall we call it? Um, so that was series 10. Join us next time for some more Red Dwarf goodness. And until then, we'll see you later. Goodbye. Bye-bye.